Weird Things is brought to you by patreon.com slash weird things. Support the show. Hello and welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Adrian Mean, joined by Brian Brushwood. Hello, beautiful people. Justin Robert Young. Hey. And Mr. Bryce Castillo. Hello. Hi. So, uh, remember a few weeks ago when we showed the rocket footage of the rocket going sideways and we got a lot of laughs out of that? Yes, we did. Yeah, <laughs> you know. that, 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 that happened. I remember that. That was, that was, uh, it just did not have enough juice, right? The rocket going side. Wait, re- refresh my memory. Rocket going side. Remember the rocket that was trying to take off and it just went. Oh, that's right. That's like, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's funny is all I could think of is our recent modern rock episode where the exact same thing happened. <laughs> we tried to make a two-stage rocket, and it turns out uh, you have to balance uh, it very, and that's hard to do with yeah. rocket. There's some kind of science to that. Yeah, uh, yeah it sounds like yeah. a very complicated science yeah. because we definitely, uh, uh, by the way, Bryce was the MVP who refused to move from his post as the rocket went in spirals around. <laughs> you could clearly see Bryce yeah. at his camera. I don't remember so, any yeah, of this. I'm, I'm uh, okay. Weird. I've got a total block in my brain or something. Weird. So you don't know either story. I don't remember any of this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This you, is, are uh, you aware that your name is Bryce? <laughs> <laughs> Who is stole? the president well, of the United I'm States? Like, it's Barack Obama, right? Oh and, no! no! I, I, uh, well, uh, the modern rogue thing we we recorded weeks ago, so it makes sense that. Oh, I that, do. That, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, I yeah, do yeah. remember that. I mean, actually, maybe months ago because we didn't have an ending to it. It stayed in the back hopper for a really long time. Right. And then finally, we ran out of episodes. So, so just Jason and Corey recorded an ending where they're. I like, was there. I recorded that ending. That didn't I didn't remember that. I do remember that. But I don't remember the rocket going sideways. So there was a real My rocket that Bryce. went. <laughs> there was a real rocket that went sideways, and it was because it it it. it uh, uh, functioned incorrectly or didn't have enough. Oh, there we go. Oh, we're watching it. Is this Look it? At the it. NASA Ast- You can Astra? do it the electric slide. <laughs> yeah, it's got the side hover down perfect. So anyhow, we we had a lot of laughs. Yeah. Guess who gets the last laugh now? Who? Uh, the side police who issued a ticket for <laughs> yeah. seventy dollars. Gravity. <laughs> Astra. They their latest rocket reached orbit, reached a height of like five hundred kilometers. They're the fastest aerospace company. They were founded in 2016, and here we are just a five years later. Wow. They have reached orbit. Fastest wow. company to ever do that. I mean, I, I, I do think that, that in, in you know, the, the, the new meta that we're setting up here, this is more of the reality that you see kind of spectacular failures that are happening in public, right, that, that, are, that are, are out there. We're normalizing the idea that this kind of stuff happens when you are a developing rocket company, but... The, the fruit of that is that we get more rocket companies, which is like the greatest possible thing if we want more exploration of space. Yep, yep. So uh, this was a United States Space Force contract launch and uh, just a clap for Astra. Yay! Big, big ups, big yep. ups to yep. Astra. I mean, that's, that's, that is amazing. And five years to orbit. <laughs> I look at like where I was five years ago and what I've done and it ain't launching rockets into space. No. Wow, I mean, that's, that's nuts. Just, wow, so only five years from the founding to getting something into orbit. That's insane. 
Now compare that to, and again, this is a smaller rocket. It's not a giant one. I'm not gonna, make, you know, not gonna rocket shame there. Yeah, but exactly. How long have we been trying to get this? this, in, this, you know, this, the, uh, this isn't a rocket measuring contest. <laughs> but how long have we been trying to get the SLS into space? How long have we tried to do other stuff? How many other programs have languished for decades? I mean, because Boeing's been around for longer than five years, right? They've been around, yeah, yeah. A, a little bit, yeah. Like, yeah. A, a well, bit. well, but, you know, but 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 Boeing with the SLS, they had to start from scratch. They knew nothing about, about aerospace, yeah, or aerospace. They were just airplane. fresh out of yeah. the womb. Well, right, they, Boeing was. It was Boeing and all the other partners on the space shuttle who sure. knew, tried to build a rocket using space shuttle hardware. I mean, it's, they had it's, an it's tough. They, they knew uh, that. Uh, it's tough when you're standing on the shoulders of ants and you have no <laughs> monopolistic no government. No literally, literally a program that was supposed to be faster because it was using all of this legacy hardware and expertise. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's uh, in, all, in all seriousness. But it gets boring to do the same thing twice. Who wants to do the same sure. thing twice? I mean, the problem is, is, is again, uh, uh, you have laid we have laid bare that a lot of these programs exist so the programs exist and not necessarily to make product as fast as possible also it is worth noting that there there is a kind of a cognitive bias in that we get to see the success stories of somebody who in five years goes from nothing to orbit but we don't get to see all of the half-baked ideas that never quite pan out and all the lost money and all the uh companies that started but then folded yeah yeah there's one of the things that helped SpaceX early on was the test grounds, the facility they have at McGregor was the remnants of a former private space initiative that just it was too hard, too much, wasn't able to get off, you know, able to succeed. Well, uh, and, and then they and bought that on the cheap. We, we, we talked a bit about that when we talked about the book Abundance and uh, um, the X Prize philosophy, where it's like, uh, the failures subsidize the success, like all of those efforts. Uh, no, nobody gets prize money for, you know, getting halfway there. Uh, and a lot of them fail on the way. But all of that information and data makes it possible for other people to succeed faster. Absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the things I think I mentioned this before, but I was watching Malcolm in the Middle. And this is a show that came out. And <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell two- in the Middle. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mal- no this, this show is a lot more deeper insights. Yeah. Um, and there's a scene where like Malcolm gets the substitute teacher and the, the punchline is that, you know, he's this brilliant guy. And like, what happened? I'm like, Oh, this show is from like 2001. Like, Oh, he went to go do a startup. Oh, really? And obviously. Cause they failed because of the boot, you know, and this is right when the, this dot, the dot com bust happened and like, Oh, he did a startup. What a loser yeah. who just lost. Cause that's Hollywood's perception is like, Oh, Oh, where are you now? But the thing that people forgot is like that, bubble was a wall street bubble but, it wasn't like ah oh, the algorithms don't work no, yeah, no, no. Is this, broken. this was this was pets.com right like you had you had all these like uh, yeah. uh big things that all of a sudden went away the, the only way it could be more hollywood and they didn't have this word at the time but it's like he left to start a streaming service <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's them so, drinking too. Uh, it's them yeah sorry uh, audio I, listeners I actually yeah you actually had, had a to, drink so not only did you not <laughs> Brian make a, a pantomime of drinking tea for an audio podcast, yes, but he yes. basically had tea next to him. Hey, man, uh, uh, it could be worse. I could stand up and then sideways shuffle out of the camera. <laughs> so, uh, other space news? Uh huh. Did you did you follow uh, did you follow the Dart mission? The Dart the Dart thing that launched last week? No. I don't think I did. No, gentlemen, we are officially in the age of things are moving so fast to keep track of. 
What if, imagine if you will, 65 million years ago, giant rock crashes into the earth and destroys like 99% of the life on the planet. Implausible, but I'll go with it. Wouldn't it be appropriate that we got revenge? Oh, I did see. Oh, that's right. I, 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 I only saw the headlines, and the headlines were sensational. They said, like, NASA really, 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 really wants to smash a rocket into an asteroid. Well, now we're getting our revenge, and that's what we've done. Launched on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket, the DART mission. Goal is to punch an asteroid. Ooh, uh, and, and, and by the way, this is quite possibly a humanity-saving piece of data that we need sure. to know. Yes, Absolutely. it's what it is. Also, it's awesome. It's, it's also... <laughs> also, it's petty revenge. It's, it's like the Doolittle raid in World War II. It's yeah. The, <laughs> it's, it's, we, we don't have a military, but while we build it, we're going to just try to bomb Tokyo. <laughs> we're going to just... Uh, so, so how how far off is the the craft from punching? Uh, that's a great question, Brian, and I am going to stall while I try to read it. Mm. Uh, uh, but the important thing uh, is that ten it's, months it's launched and it's on schedule. Yeah, like ten months. Oh, <laughs> ten so months. Somebody sent a telegram to that rock in space that, "Hey, buddy, a punching's coming from you. Uh, Sincerely yours, the Uncle Sam." Sam. <laughs> September two thousand twenty-two. So, a year that, for, over. Yeah. And so that's when we're going to see whether or not months. it does hit it, and whether or not it knocks it off course. Or well, yeah, it. they're going to try to see how much impact like it it has. Yeah. So yeah. The, the idea is like I don't know if it's going to be like crazy but like what what because you would think like oh we can do these things with simulations but the hard part is like we don't know like if you've got an asteroid and let's say it's a bunch of gravel it's gonna do one thing if it's a rock with some gravel around it it's gonna do something else and so that's the importance of it because like if you're just everything if you treat everything as a solid body at the same density even then the math can get kind of hard but when it's like could be have this variation well, yeah. and uh, uh, <laughs> Michael Crichton once in a speech, and this sounds harsher than it uh, it really is. He said, hold on, hold on. I just need to read this that's NASA a great tweet. Comment. This NASA tweet. Asteroid Dimorphos. We're coming for you. For you. <laughs> that, is, that is the official NASA tweet from to NASA. Got to give it to you. NASA got to give it to well, you. I also like our chat, our chat, JDS3K. Uh, uh, in Soviet Russia, Earth impacts meteors. <laughs> <laughs> uh so so uh michael crichton once said that uh uh all simulations are essentially a um uh, an expression of prejudice and 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 that's that's a loaded term but it's like it's an, ex an expression of what you already believe to be true that's how you build a uh, simulation so if we build a simulation of uh when it comes to asteroids impacting earth there's a few different moves you get uh, we don't really know what would happen if you launched a nuke at it. It might be that it fragments and then becomes ultra catastrophic because it's yeah. like a shotgun blast instead of a single bullet. Um, uh, there's a, 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 a mass drivers, which the idea is land uh, something on the asteroid, have it dig out parts of the asteroid and chuck it off to the side. Mm -hmm. So the asteroid essentially becomes its own propellant uh, that, that causes it to veer off course. There's also, uh, you can kind of gravity lure it. If you get close enough and just sort of hover near it, then you could cut it. The tractor. Uh, yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, cause it to uh, tract over. But but straight up punching an asteroid, until this, this mission, uh, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, 
we only have uh, our own prejudices, our own our own guesses, our own simulations. Yeah, we, we've we've hit we've slammed things into asteroids more to see kind of the debris and what they're made of, but we haven't really done anything to just see like to real try to measure if it deviates, etc. I would say you left out a couple other scenarios, Brian. There's the giant inflatable Earth that we put that up there to yep. trick the to, asteroids to psych so it out. To yep. hit that. Oh, uh, there uh, is the painting, the railroad tracks into <laughs> the side of the mountain. Okay. Actually, one more real one that you caused me to remember is uh, to go up and uh, let's say it's a comet, you can uh, fire a laser to heat up the ice on a side of a comet causing a giant plume so it becomes its own rocket engine and, mm. and fires off to the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, all very cool. Of course, you know, we don't just have threats from outer space. You know, uh, we've got some more data about the Russian satellite breakup ah. and it's not good. Uh, uh the Russian satellite, I believe it's called, uh, Nunya, which, <laughs> which is Russian for F off. Yeah. We'll blow up whatever uh, we feel like. <laughs> there's been some, uh, debris there's some simulation uh let me type this in we'll see if we can see that it's just it's been a very very bad thing visualizations show the extensive cloud of debris that russia's anti-satellite test created and it's it's basically created a it's created a problem and we're still seeing you know how how much this is going to progress and it's literally the military not caring about any other part of what's going on there well because the people that shot that satellite want everybody to know that they could shoot satellites, right? Like that's, that's the point of why they did that. Well, I think yes. And yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes. And, um, uh, uh, uh there, there's certainly some part of that, but there's also some amount of asserting their own territory and their sovereign right to do whatever they want with their own property in space, include, uh, including make an Destroy awful it. nuisance yeah. to everybody else in space. Yeah, I'm going to try to find uh, Bryce. If you go to the Verge article on it, there's a tweet that has this animation that shows the spread of the debris over time, um, which is yeah. uh, for audio listeners. It's worth checking out if you want to go to look up the uh, Lauren Gush, who's one of my, you know, she and Eric Berger, I think, do really good, great space coverage. And so the, the disbursement's kind of fascinating so and disturbing. Uh, uh, we're about to watch this animation, but um, best case scenario as they blew this thing up is that the chaotic vectors cause uh, most everything to get dragged down by the atmosphere and you get a clean explodey. Um, the worst case scenario was depicted in the documentary film Gravity starring Sandra Bullock. Um, uh, how, how close between the one and the other do you think this scenario is landing? So, yeah, the, the second scenario is called the Kessler syndrome, which is where you basically debris creates more debris and creates more debris. Um, I don't know because, like, it's the the time for decay. Uh, like, if you look at the simulation, assuming things are to scale, that ain't going to be deorbiting anytime soon. No. You, know, you could you could take hundreds of years, thousands of years or some stuff. You know, we, we've got Apollo hardware still out there in orbit. So. Or you know, out in distant orbit. So. Uh question and oh, I, I, i'm assuming there's no way that this could happen but when you watch it visually it's tempting to almost believe that what was a single object by virtue of splitting up assuming everything pretty much goes roughly the same speed let's say plus or minus a thousand hours or whatever or a, a thousand miles an hour um 
would that imply that that you could, as if you were merging into traffic, insert a satellite on that same orbit, and when you inevitably do bump into other particles, the the speed difference it wouldn't be like a bullet hitting you. It would be more like bumper cars kind of bouncing. Well. Uh... I mean, your, your speed differences can be in the thousands of miles per hour and the direction. It's not like they're literally all going in, in the, the precise same direction, a slight angle, a slight thing, anything like that. It's not, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not like a, uh, over time or, or over a considerable amount of time, the right situations, you get rings. Like Saturn's rings is eventually things started to go in a direction. There's still turbulence there, though. There's still things bumping into each other and whatever. But the that big massive stuff has started to follow that same sort of thing. Here, getting from the state we're in to that means you know everything getting smashed into smaller pieces. Yeah. Good but, lord, man! Yeah. You're always screwing it up, we Russia. Should, what are you should, doing, man? We should start a fund. We should start a it, a fund where we get the word out about problems like uh some, something to increase. Let's do a. I'm not going to call it a charity because legally I can't do that. Yeah. But let's start. Let, let, let's be charitable by starting. Can't technically call it a foundation. I think we have a good foundation to start being charitable. Yeah. And get the message out. Russia. Nuh-uh. Uh, but but so, unfortunately, we need some way to fund this 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 get the word out campaign. Oh, Brian, I'm glad that you brought that up. <laughs> Because I think we should think about it. <laughs> uh, or, or maybe we could have people go to patreon.com slash weird things. Yeah, Zooks! <laughs> Indeed, we could do exactly that. Patreon.com slash weird things is where you can support this show. Head on over there right now. Make sure that you keep us coming back each and every Tuesday. Monday. 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 <laughs> Not even. Make sure we keep. I didn't know what we were doing initially. Uh, <laughs> so, this is all part of the character. Uh, patreon.com slash weird things. You can get the uh, after things show earlier than anybody else on the planet that is where we three entrepreneurs discuss the realities of doing our own projects uh, uh folks it is the holiday season we would like to thank you in the spirit of giving we understand that there are so many people that do that for us each and every week and we very much thank you if you want to join the team head on over patreon.com slash weird things so the Mondays. comment somebody said maybe russia solved the space junk problem that would be like saying if we chop down all the trees, we've solved the deforestation problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, um, it would be like solving the elephant unhappiness problem by killing all the elephants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the space junk problem. This debris is what when we talk about space junk, it's not like, ah, that that Telstar satellite that's leaky batteries just sitting there doing nothing. A little bit of space junk. The real problem is all this crap and debris and all these broken up things. So, is there uh, is is, is I, I um I I'm I'm just speculating wildly like like I don't know what the moves are let let let's say you want to build a space station uh, another space station well, who there, talked who too old that was supposed to be a secret Brian <laughs> would there be something to the idea of once you get in your orbit you sort of just like when we live in a house we build walls around us would would you would you put up a giant foam net on either side of your space station uh, just to sort of keep stray bullets out yeah the yeah not not a crazy idea and you can do things like uh you can have certain kinds of shielding so you put an outer layer so something hits it and it slows down the speed of vapor that gets converted to heat as it vaporizes the metal there are strategies to do that 
now that the cost of launch is going down considerably, and if, if Starship works, if Starship works, you know, you're like, eh, what do you want to put? I don't lead. Let's just throw lead shielding around. They're cheaper things. Nah, it's fine. We don't care. The cost doesn't matter to me. Once we've been thinking, and you mentioned before, like I think Peter Diamandis and Bold, we've been thinking of the scarcity sort of thing. And people in the space industry are still thinking in this. And, and realistically, you can't launch something for next to nothing right now. But by the end of the decade, it seems highly likely that building things in space is going to be about as cheap as, you know, FedExing stuff around the world to some remote location. Yeah. And that's for and considering your satellites, your satellite costs are going to be way more for the electronics parts than the cost of launching. Then we need to think about what is it like when, oh, yeah, no, is it weigh 10 tons or 20 tons? You're like, I don't, it doesn't matter. That's a rounding error on the launch cost. And, and by the way, that is a, there's a historical precedent for that for uh, in Bill Gates's famous decision to build windows and let it be buggy and let it take long routes around because no computer could run the windows that they were writing the code for. But he knew that in a few years, computers would be fast enough to to, yeah. to, to run it without any trouble. And uh, I, I I don't know if it was a joke, but in the chat, the ghost of the night attack said uh, uh, you could build space stations out of locally sourced materials. I think that's 100% right. I think we're getting close to that every day. And we've talked about hollowing out asteroids and so on uh, for uh, yeah, to live it, in. Yeah, it, it'll be further out. But like, remember, on Earth, the cheapest way to build something isn't we used to build log cabins because we didn't have infrastructure to ship stuff. Now, if you want to go build houses in a development, you, you you strip away the trees and the gravel and everything, and you ship everything in because it's pre -pro the processing is where the costs are. Yeah. Um, and there will be a point like asteroids, like yeah, there's good materials, but you know, like I'm I'm gonna be Mister Naysay here, but like get asteroid mining out of your head when you think about why we want to go to space. It's it's you're just, the one who put really... it in my head. <laughs> now I have to come out. Well, no, no, no. I, uh, 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 to be honest, what what stuck in my head is the idea of hollowing out asteroids to live in, I, in which I will hold mm -hmm. on to. I do think that that is no, no, idea. that 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 when you get further out to that sort of scale, you know, where you're like, well, let's just let's let's you know, let's use series as raw material and stuff, and hey, I first thing I did when I went to one of these asteroid redirect labs was made them use the laser to melt rocks together to see how hard it would be to weld asteroids, you know, and they're like, oh, we did. You could do it. And it looked cool and it looked glassy. And so, um, but uh, yeah, I was saying like short term, but like, you know, the thing it's like, oh, you know, uh, this, you know, Tyco has enough, you know, Tyco has enough, you know, nickel that it'd be worth trading. Like, like, no, it's not out. It'd be like, oh, nickel, nickel doesn't cost anything now because we have, you know, we have so much of it. It would just devalue and crash the market. Yeah. And there's so much stuff on earth too. Like if you really want other stuff, we don't even really do. We'll do under ocean, undersea mining, where we'll like, you know, start on land. We'll dig under like some of the coal mines and stuff in Britain. That's what they do is they actually dig them under, you know, oceans and stuff and do that. We do a little bit of that, but because it's really expensive to sort of do deep sea mining. And however cheap it may get to go be to go to space, it's always going to be cheaper to, to try to mine stuff off the ocean floor. Yeah. Which right. we don't do yet. Right. Because we can yeah. find it in easier places. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but so and so so yeah. Uh, so, so the the idea of getting it out of space will just never. We have a long way to go. We have a long. We yeah, have there, many targets. Like, there will be when we're when you're building stuff in the asteroid belt or out beyond there. Okay, yeah. Then like yeah, it cost wise, energy wise, it might be more efficient to mine it out there locally sourced. 
Yes. <laughs> well, and, and, and I stand corrected. Also, there's um, uh, uh, this is wild speculation on my part, but but uh, I, I always love those moments when you realize you don't know what surprises uh, lay in store for us. Um, uh, you know, ten years ago we were arguing about the feasibility of re reusable rockets, and now I stand Still corrected. Still not on it. Uh, and now I stand corrected. But um, likewise, we don't know whether or not there'll be uh, leapfrog uh, advancements in artificial intelligence or um, uh, uh, autonomous robotics or whatever. Uh, and it could be the kind of thing where very cheaply we just throw a bunch of you know tiny robots that just hang out on the moon. It's like, look, we'll get there eventually. For now, just for the next 50 years or so, just mine everything and sort it for us. And when we land there, We'll figure out what to do with it. You know, it, 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 like like it's that it's that kind of stuff that 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 would be a bonkers thing to propose now. But ten years from now, we don't know what advancements we're going to have to play I, with. I, I agree, and I, I think that, and I think that is a good way to look at things. And there's, we talk about how we haven't made like we we haven't made certain kind of advances as much as we we could. We don't shut up about SpaceX and Tesla. Part of the reason is because. They've really pushed the envelope of what's we're 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 an electric car sooner than we thought we would have been, and and now we like oh it's Rivian and all these other companies are doing exciting things, and we're like space now we got Astra and stuff and this and these you talk to these people like yeah they've seen what SpaceX did move them forward, on an engineering point of view, one of the things you think about is like if you take an electric car like I've had to have like minor like you know they had to replace a part in it but other than that like electric systems tend to last forever like if you have an led light an led light source that that led light ain't ever going to go bad the circuitry there will the circuits that power it whatever they might wear down or melt whatever if or, you start or, or, thinking or there, about there could be a, a solar flare or or maybe a, a short circuit that causes it to overpower and blow out or whatever but yeah but, but, but just yeah yeah, I just say from an engineering point of view, we solved that problem. Like the carbon filaments always wear out, LEDs don't. It's the, it's a thing. If you think about the idea, if, if we got if we took engineering really seriously and we started saying, because your idea of these robots just leave them there, the problem with like wind like windmills is that they those turbines they wear down. There's a lot of wear on those things. And in some places they may be efficient, whatever. But if we started thinking about like, okay, how do I build a system that never needs lubrication? You know, can I build a system where Everything is, you know, uh, a solid state system that uses, you know, magnetic magnets to keep things from frick to avoid the problem of friction, like frictions, friction and heat are two of your biggest problems when it comes to engineering. But if we started thinking about the fundamental way, like, oh, yeah, we can build a solar powered robot that'll just last a thousand years, you know, it'll sit on the moon. And, you know, right now we can't, you know, your Roomba gets clogged and these things can't, but we haven't put a lot of effort into saying, what if, what is the advantage to something that does do that? So th this Man, takes me back to second grade. Uh, there was a show called uh, What Will They Think of Next, I think, on Nickelodeon uh, that mm -hmm. I think originated. I, I think Bill Bixby was in it for part of it. But um, they specifically had a story on how England, I believe, uh, uh, they, they had these uh, minted silver coins that uh, 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 silver tarnishes over time. And the only way that they had to fix it was with an abrasive. So picture, you know, basically throwing Comet on there. Yeah. And then and you grind it down. You're mechanically grinding it down over time so they're losing fidelity. Uh, and so there was a massive kind of moonshot effort uh, on a local scale to figure out uh, uh, how can we solve this. And uh, they figured out that there's a, there was a solution that you could dip it in and all you had to do was wipe it and it got rid of the tarnish. And, and uh, the wild part was uh, they, they, uh, within a year after seeing this, uh, the product, the on the shelf product Tarnex 
came out. And then the whole thing was like, got old tarnished silverware, you buy this crap and pour it on there. Look how amazing. But they didn't stop there because as good as that was, that still required some of the amount of physical connection. And these were such priceless historical artifacts that they kept on going. And then they figured out another process that involved simply setting the coin inside, call it a microwave, whatever, some yeah. kind of thing that basically just tarnished gone and no loss of fidelity whatsoever. So likewise, um, uh, uh, with windmills, of course, you've got something grinding on something and sooner or later that's going to go down to nothing. Uh, and just like it's kind of hard to imagine a light when you only know uh, filament light bulbs to picture something where it just emits light and and it's not mechanical and it goes forever. Um, that's we don't have that now, but but I agree. Uh, there's no reason that 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 advance can't come out of nowhere. I saw an article today. Uh, a company I forget. I lost the name of the company, but you know I get to a dive to find it. But they they showed a very cool. Uh, let's say you want to build a lot of parts. Let's say you wanted to build a lot of like disc brakes or something like that. Normally the way it works is you, you have your prototype mold and you have your molds made, and then you have these big, huge casting machines where they, you know, do this, the metal gets melted and poured inside of there. Right. Alternative has been, and some of these new rocket companies are using 3d printing to print these things, which is fine. We talked about this, I think on a prior episode, it's fine when it's a really expensive part where it would cost you like $30,000 to make something, you know, this big in a traditional way, where if you 3D print it, it takes forever, but it costs a few thousand. There's a company that now just showed, they take, you take a design like, oh, we need to make a bunch of these disc brakes, right? You 3D print a mold for it, use a 3D printer, print a mold for it. And then they put in the powder and they microwave it. And it's a giant microwave that uses microwaves to melt the the powder in there which Damn. is like kind of cool that's bonkers because that's where you say yeah use that 3d printing at another step along the way and then instead of this you know super there we go foundry labs oh so this guy's crap. next to his big giant microwave uh and that's a crazy idea that's now now i want even more to uh I, I I need to learn more about. How... What, what did you say? Now I want a microwave pizza. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is an idea that we want to do for a Mono Rogue episode. Is apparently, um, uh, uh, you know, you think of glass glassware as something that you cannot microwave, or you know, it's microwave safe or whatever. Um, uh, the only time that is hot that they get hot is when they're porous and humidity is able to get inside because it's the, the water vibrating that causes microwaves to work. Um, but apparently you can take like a beer bottle and put it in a microwave and nothing happens. And it's not even, it's cool to the touch. But if you heat it with a blowtorch in a corner of it, get it up to kind of an almost liquid red hot and then hit go, then it just keeps on going and it behaves like like water and gets, gets uh, melted by it the microwave. Is- YouTube, yeah, YouTube, look up microwave found because one of these things you'll see some like, oh, we're going to make a sword. And remember the first time, like, oh, we're going to make a dagger today. And I watch a guy take this big, like, porcelain or excuse me, this plaster sort of thing, put some metal in it, shove it into like a microwave. I'm like, no, you're not supposed to do that. There's, I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, and like, yeah, like you said with the bottle, exactly. If you liquefy part of it, then it takes off. And so, um, there's a lot there's a lot of the science that's not imagine in high school if there was a lot more of that going on 
Oh, yeah, in, right. If that were the science lessons, like in, instead of uh, dumb stuff. Well, I mean, the the, the good news yeah. is the people of that age, uh, they got the YouTube. <laughs> they 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 they, yeah. they they are seeing those demos, but but yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Uh, Can but, we microwave daggers? <laughs> I'm gonna pitch that. Sure, do it, school board cowards. <laughs> I, I got, Smash a, got another. <laughs> just, just Justin standing with the sign that just says "cowards." Yeah, up and down. Microwave up this dagger, you cowards! <laughs> I, I dare you. You call the media. They're like, this man is protesting. The new swing issue that's uh, destroying the 2024 election. Dagger fever is caught throughout school boards. <laughs> dagger fever. <laughs> so, uh, I want you to imagine. Uh, we're in the, reading the news and in there they talk about like yeah um apparently uh bigfoot may have been walking around austin texas in uh like 2009 in what? disguise it's south by southwest digital well i mean first of all i can solve this mystery because uh i was next to him uh, and Justin is kind of a shaggy guy. Hey, I don't now. know that. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, well, I'm kind of. But I'm small. saying, imagine the story. <laughs> well, imagine if the story came out. They're like, no, we think we think he was here at this point. Yeah. What would you do? We'd be like, you guys were there. You'd be taking out your phones and looking for. For Bigfoot. Yeah. Oh hell yeah. Especially yeah. then. That was when. That yeah. was when South by was still uh still had the first flush of tech money. Oh my gosh. That was uh, yeah, so much tech money that Owen J.J. Stone, aka O Doctor, would just walk around and find rich people and say, Hey, give me twenty dollars. Yeah. And then they'd go like, Okay, why? And he's like, Thanks. <laughs> and that that was it. And they yeah. thought it was hilarious and they got other rich people to be like, Oh, and do the thing. <laughs> it's a very funny Freak moment. Good. You know, if we that's not that very different from VC investing. I mean, really. It's a reason why he was one. Yeah. He was 90 minutes away from a pitch deck that would have gotten him millions. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so, uh, so uh, 2009, Bigfoot at South by Southwest. I digital. Mean, at digital. 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 Uh, uh, so, uh, what's the deal here? Yeah. Again, that's just an, an analogy. So, oh. uh, Michael Rowan Robinson, there's a hyphen in the name. You can presume he's probably British. Mm -hmm. An astronomer and emeritus, emeritus professor at astrophysics at Imperial College in London, not associated with the uh, Star Wars Empire, I found out. It was ah, an embarrassing mistake yeah. I made. Um, you know, so uh, do the do the moths control the curriculum here, or <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry, I, I'm 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 an adjunct moth at the Imperial College. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, no. you go through all the training, and finally somebody gives you the nod and says, "You may graduate when ready." <laughs> so they uh, he was like, "Hey, uh, it's Planet Nine. You know, uh, the infrared astronomical satellite, which has been up since like 1983, uh, took a lot of images of parts of the sky." where uh they had a 10-month mission and you know i was looking deep into the, some parts of the sky where planet nine which would have been planet 10 then because pluto you know hadn't been we're relegated planet, yeah. but uh, that could be there so now they're looking at a bunch of this data seeing like hey could could we like it's planet nine in there did we already capture photos or images of planet nine i mean i guess if if you have is there a planet on, nine, on a course? long enough timeline with enough cameras i mean sort of like a 
for the same reason that we <laughs> have genuine cause to doubt that we're being visited by aliens, which is everybody has cameras everywhere now. Uh, the reverse is true, where when we have a bunch of cameras that are taking pictures of the sky at all times, at some point you get enough pictures that you can just kind of see, you know, just this black spot yeah. winking out star by star <laughs> as it goes around an orbit again and again. And it's, it's crazy because, like, uh, you know, we had earlier this month, we had the headline, or last month we had the headline, uh, our Chandra X-ray Observatory, uh, was like looking at the spiral galaxy Messier 51, which is one of these, like if you look at like the Milky Way and then you're like, oh, and then look, there's Andromeda over here. Like there's actually a lot of little smaller ones. There's a lot of little other, you're like, hey, we're a galaxy too. Like, like why does Andromeda get all the love? Like, like wh what about us? You know, just, it's just you and Europe and you forget about Ireland and England, you know? <laughs> and the Canary Islands are like, hey, what we're about, here. Hey, you yeah, know? we exist. Acknowledge yeah. me. Yeah, it's not just that. So that's one of the kind of cool things about space is you forget. It's not like, ah, that we talk about. It's not like there's the solar system. It's another solar system. It's all types of crap out there. And then you got galaxies and you got stuff drifting between them. But the uh, Messier M51, they were looking at that and they basically were able to image uh, some of the data there that looked like something passing in front of something. So this is a different story than this one, but like they're like saying, yeah, we may have spotted a planet in another galaxy. Oh, uh, um, we, uh, well, uh, 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 sorry, uh, continue. Wait, Brian's already another... accepted this. Brian has passed this. Brian's like, of course. No, no. Sorry. It took me a moment to realize the immensity of what you're saying. Detected a planet okay, in you. another galaxy is hard for me to, how, how? Uh, so, oh, Whoa, you want your reasons. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm, try, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to Brian. grapple with the they scale of things. They are scientists, Brian. <laughs> I know. Who I know. are you I, to I, question I, I scientists? It's not that I don't believe you. It's that I yeah. literally, my dumb monkey brain can't comprehend the immensity of this model. Wait, hold on. A very, right. a, very <laughs> helpful, a very helpful comment has come in in the chat. The Ben Franklin said math. That's how. That's how. Bunch yeah. of uh, math yeah. heads. Come on. So hey, the, the, idiot. The, the, the math. The learn to learn about it. this math. Okay. So we think about, like I said, before we talk, we think about some of these galaxies being super far away. Some of them are closer. And in this case, we were able to see stars in this other galaxy. In this case, like a binary system. And we noticed that there was what appeared to be an occlusion when we were looking at this binary system in another galaxy. Every now and then, like, hey, this is going dark. Now it's bright. Now, now it's dark. And that's the same way we look for planets in our own galaxy. And this happens to be a galaxy that, because remember, we get in our head, okay. we think galaxies, we're like, oh, yep. they're so effing far apart. But if we look at a map, I mean, it's, it's, it's M5, yeah, okay. 51 is like right in our backyard. I, uh, uh, I can handle the scale now. Uh, so so if I, I'm going to try to say it back to you. Uh, like, I could picture, I could picture uh, uh, a high enough resolution I know it's not Andromeda, but picturing the Andromeda galaxy, you can see the individual stars, and and uh, with a big enough, uh, you know, mega Jupiter, uh, uh, what do they call them? Hi hi hyper gas giants or something? Uh, uh, I, I can picture right. uh, a Bad winking gas giants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. All right. Now, now I I feel like my feet are back on the ground. Uh, that's remarkable. Yeah. For a matter of comparison, um, let's see. How far away is, um, so like Andromeda is like 2.5 million light years. This one 
is Messier 51, which was the first time I think we imaged another, recognized another whirlpool. We call it the whirlpool galaxy. It's 31 million light years away. But it's the, what helps was it's straight on. It's right. like flat to us. Got it. And so, so it's easier like, to, oh, to resolve ah, the individual uh, yeah. stars. Yeah. Um, uh, along the same topic, and this, uh, uh, I, I got excited not because I wanted to leapfrog this, but because um, I remember reading the headline and wanting to discuss it with you. But I believe the headline uh, mentioned something about uh, uh, a new AI going through existing pictures from uh, the uh, Kepler Space Telescope and discovering like 300 new planets that had gone unnoticed, uh, which is also cool. Oh, wow. That's insane. Yeah, there's, uh, you can, as these algorithms become very good, what we, we often don't know the patterns that we know that, that help us see something. You give enough data to something and you say, there's a pattern here, these things can pick up these patterns. And that's what, what seems to be happening there is now we're using this data and applying it. And I think that's going to be, we're going to be, as machine learning starts really making inroads in other scientists, and that really comes down to uh, the example I've used was a couple of years ago when I did, did Shark Week and I visited a lab and I was talking, you know, I, I've said this story multiple times, so I'll say it again. I, I'm walking through the different million dollar built super funded lab. They have like a, they have a wave tank the size of a racquetball course there. It's huge. They've got power boats, all this. And I walk past a room and there's somebody watching an old TV with like a video playing of fish swimming past a reef. And this person has a clipboard and a clicker and they're counting like the number of clownfish. And I'm like, I'm like, why not you use the OpenCV algorithm and use that? Because then you could actually just, you know, you could do this in like two minutes and get an accurate count. OpenCV, what's that? Oh, it's a Python library for image recognition. Like, oh, I don't, I don't program. And this is- We don't do snakes here. Super, yeah. And, and yeah, like wrong lab. We do fish here. And what the thing was, this person, what they did not know was they could have learned to do this in a couple hours. Yeah. It seemed like, oh, this was so hard. And it's like, oh man, I am like, I, I'm like, I could show you how to do this in a couple hours and it will change the way you do this kind of science. Uh, here's a fun thought. Imagine what happens when we have AIs that are trained to watch humans. So, so the AI has a library of just knowing what all the other uh, things are. And then it just watches human do things. And then like Clippy says, it appears as though you're trying to count fish would you like some help with this <laughs> and then it's like here's a fish counting program here are all the fish uh that's gonna happen so fast andrew it's gonna it's 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 once it starts cascading it's gonna happen so fast i mean if it hasn't already happened yeah <laughs> um, that's the unspoken uh, harsh truth oh no we 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 have uh i'll just uh in my other job as spokesperson or science science communicator for OpenAI, I'm not supposed to science communicator for OpenAI. Let me get my job title straight. First lesson of doing communications <laughs> as uh, president of the world. <laughs> yes, as uh, we we released a model called uh, Codex, which is this model was trained by looking at how when people write code, the instructions they give and just explaining oh, this yeah. thing does this, and then it does this. Uh, a recent stat was we we built a thing with GitHub called Copilot, which is a plugin for creating code. And 30% of the program of the of the of the software of the that's been the link the code that's been committed to GitHub and the major languages use this now. Wow. And you could you can like what you describe, like if I said 
I'm like, uh, if I said in Python, like, you know, make a, you know, make a program to count clownfish, you know, clownfish in a video, um, it will probably start suggesting things like libraries and stuff and what to do. Um, and and it, right now I just did this and it says like import numpy, which is number the import pandas pickle, which is for opening files. And it starts listing all the libraries I'm probably going to want to use to be able to do this. And it's not fully to the point it's going to do the whole thing, but it will give you, if I just said I wanted to do this. It will, it will save uh, a tremendous amount of time by making very, yeah. very, very smart suggestions in a very particular field, which is coding. I, I suppose it's, um, boy, uh, hi, Brian Metaphor Brushwood here. Uh, it would be the equivalent of standing in the middle of the Texas desert and saying, I would like to surf. And then the robot saying, well, uh, you, uh, here are some places to look, California, <laughs> you know, where there are, is water, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And this is, I've, I've done a thing before I was playing, I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to get a transcript from a YouTube video. And I typed in as my comment, like uh, get a transcript from a YouTube video and I click return and it says, oh, use this library, which extracts transcripts from YouTube videos and three lines. I had the thing. Yeah. Which would have taken me hours to have made before. Uh, and this is where we are now. This is where we are in. This, this is implemented. November. What yeah. Month it is. This, this isn't even cutting edge. This, this isn't even experimental. This wow. is. Oh, oh, sorry, yeah, it's deployed. But but what I mean oh, is like, you, no. But you know what I mean. What what I mean is <laughs> we like, are yes. early. We are early, early, early in this story. Uh, well, uh, but I mean like uh, for example, we have started changing the way we talk on Modern Rogue to avoid words that we know because now when you upload a video to YouTube, it automatically. Uh, does text uh, speech to text? Yeah, speech to text on everything, and it automatically, algorithmically figures out whether or not you're trying to uh, do something dangerous or not. So, yeah. like, we self-center, censor, and and dance around. Like, for example, the word bomb. Uh, we, you know, we we uh, we figured out that the algorithm doesn't mind stink bomb, uh, and and we're about to find out whether or not it minds flower bomb. Uh, yeah. Because at some point you have to say the B word, but uh, but we will jokingly talk around it. But but I mean those days are numbered too. Pretty soon there's going to be context aware AI bots that are like, hey man, you don't say it, but we uh, this this is a thing that can be used to blow up. Yeah, and it is scary too because somebody made the point um, I saw on Twitter, which was so. Uh, Matt Ridley and Alina Chan have their new book out viral, mm -hmm. which is about, you know, trying to investigate the origins of, of the pandemic. And and they have a chapter where they go into like, this is how a zoonotic, how it could have been naturally. They, it's not like, ah, it was a lab leak, everybody. It's like, it is, we don't know. Yeah. We also know, man, a lot of people went out of their way to prevent us from trying to find out if it's a lab leak, but they do a good job to try to say like, if it were natural, this is what could have happened. This is a scenario for this. They try to be very, very fair about this. But if you only got your news on Facebook, you would be, and I have friends that are completely unaware of the amount of credibility the lab leak theory has. Yeah. And the, one of the reasons is, is they get, because Facebook just bans anything, anything like that. And even YouTube sort of downplays that. And that's scary and we're in a dangerous place. Twitter is a bit more open about that, but some conspiracy theories turn out to be true. If your goal is to ban every single conspiracy theory, guess what? you know, you're in a, you're, you're going to put yourself in a situation where 
especially especially in areas in areas for which we don't have like hard enough data. data yeah i mean i think like there and that's a lot <laughs> well, especially, and- especially in emerging news stories and and you know the, the the political minefield for which misinformation is the coin of the realm uh, during lunch, I was lamenting, you know, my my fear of being bubbled by Facebook or any algorithmic anything. And Justin had a really good point uh, uh, in that he pointed out, if not the tyranny of algorithms, then it becomes the ty- the tyranny of who has enough free time to shout the most. And uh, and then that is just as artificial a way to swing. Yeah, I, I think that there is there is there is a line, you know, between like, OK, well, you always seem to engage with your brother who posts once every month. And it's usually a picture of his kids versus the person who is uh, on posting nine times a day screeching about whatever. Right. It's good that the algorithm surfaces that when I show up once a month, that it's not just the person screeching uh, where I think we get into the 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 larger question and and then the the exponential element of it with AI is uh, trying to guide the idea of kind of truth and and, and yeah that's that. that's yeah. I think algorithms do a lot can be great in helping you find stuff the beauty of it like as yeah, it's is that when you have people and people you know I you know I work with different companies and I talk to people who I think have best intentions in mind. But when you start talking to them, I realize, wow, these are absolutists. They don't realize that that uh, it's that something isn't true or not based upon the number of PhDs that say a thing. Yeah, that you know, and, and it gets scary because then it's like, well, we need to figure out what's true. I'm like, well, that's been a question man's been wrestling with for <laughs> thousands of years. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we're going to solve it right now with like twelve people in a room deciding it. Is you know, you need a market of ideas, and and you can say, hey, sometimes really dangerous things catch fire and move too quickly we need to think about that that's i'm okay to entertain that but the idea that we yeah and then we need to stop it like no because you know uh abolishment abolishment was a dangerous idea right you know and, and and it took a while for that to spread because the powers that be were like no there's all these reasons why we need this hierarchy of people and stuff you know feminism was a radical idea that if the people in control controlling the the agrolin said no we don't want this to spread you know, we on the vote, you know, and that's one of these things that people like, it's not like, well, now we know what all the right ideas are. No, no, we, we have don't. no idea yeah. to, to, to take this, the conversation full circle, uh, two, two things. Uh, uh, this reminded me of something we talked about early on. I, I misquoted Michael Crichton. Uh, it wasn't pre- prejudices. I suddenly remembered it's biases is all, all models do is show you your own biases. Uh, and, uh, uh likewise with algorithms, you shape your own biases because what you somebody, some human at some point has to say, favor this, don't favor that. And, and that, whether we like it or not, there's some amount of bias going into that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know, whenever we get into these kind of conversations about algorithms, I do think that in general, they're kind of overbroad. I mean, it's like having a problem with sugar or preservatives. It's like, like, are they, the worst thing on the planet, like no one properly used, they have created a, a, a tremendous, uh, opened up tremendous a- a avenues for for you know keeping food or making it more tolerable than it would otherwise. Uh, uh, can it be misused? Yeah, absolutely. And I think where ultimately we come down to is uh, uh, amongst all the technology, we still have these same philosophical questions for which we have wrestled with forever. And and the question is yep. like, do we want to deny them or do we want to embrace them? 
And whenever I feel that tickle of panic, I try to hold on to um, uh, uh, what uh, the, the podcast formerly known as uh, Pessimist's Archive, which I believe uh, Andrew brought to us, uh, but uh, uh, J- Jason Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but uh, now called Build for Tomorrow, like uh, every hysteria you're feeling right now, a version of it has existed 100 years ago, only about novels, bicycles, and elevators. Yeah. Yep. Gentlemen, let's do picks. Yeah. I read a whole book in like five, five, five days. It was fun. Uh, uh, Neil Stephenson's got a new one out, uh, Termination Shock. Um, and I don't know, uh, I, I assume it has to be coincidence because I only have two points of data, but it seems, seems like Neil Stephenson and Kim Stanley Robinson have a couple of times now written books about similar topics from wildly different angles. Um, a while back, I read back-to-back uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's Aurora, which was about um, uh, surviving after Earth, and then also uh, Neil Stevenson published Seven Eves, which was about surviving after Earth. And in this case, Kim Stanley Robinson recently had a book about um, uh, dealing with global climate change, uh, and uh, uh, in a similar uh, uh, oeuvre, am I using that word right? Oeuvre. Uh, the termination shock Overy. happens. <laughs> Overy. Um, but uh, I started the Kim Stanley Robinson book, but lost interest because it was all fairly, fairly wonky, top-down policy. And then this gover- intergovernmental agency made this law, and the world was saved. Um, whereas uh, termination shock is a lot of fun, especially for me, because it takes place in central Texas in Houston for a lot of the book. And it's a crazy billionaire who just decides uh, that literally he'll get a return on his investment uh, if he makes only 10% more on his real estate holdings just in the Houston area along Buffalo Bayou. It's worth the $2 billion he decides to sink into creating the world's largest gun to shoot uh, sulfur dioxide into the stratosphere. And he's, and he's, he's like, uh, and he's got this, this thick uh, East Texas, it's like if t Techie Texas was a billionaire and he's just all like, uh, uh, this here is sulfur, yes, a pure element. You never get to see a pure element like the this. The Ross Perot. Uh, yes, it's, yeah. it's, and then, you know, he's like, uh, well, won't other people be upset? He's like, uh, by the time they get upset, we'll be, <laughs> we'll stop sea rises. And of course, you know, there's winners and losers in any kind yeah. of gamble and there's multipolar disputes. Um, it's fascinating. I, I really, really enjoyed the book a lot. And his name is Ryan Rushwood, the <laughs> yeah, Texas billionaire. I wish. Uh, my pick, man. I'm trying to think of what I liked. <laughs> I watched a lot of things over the last few days, and I don't know if I loved any of them. If just you, pick succession again. I could. Well, that's <laughs> oh, the man. one thing I really like. <laughs> it's the one thing I really like. I won't pick succession I know again. What I, do. I won't pick succession again. But it was a great episode. Man, <laughs> season. Great. Just, in fact, just the first minute of this week's episode. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no, I will. I will pick. Man, it's a bit of a dare. That. How much of a Beatles fan are you? Oh because, yeah. Uh, uh, if you're like me, you're about. Two hours and ten minutes of a Beatles fan before you're like, I'm not. Uh, maybe I'll get to the other thirty minutes of this episode. But if you are an eight hours Beatles fan, boy, 
Is there eight I, hours of footage for uh, the Beatles get back a a, a documentary <laughs> from Peter mark. Jackson uh, that is upscaled footage? It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I, I why I, the question mark? Is it is it sensationalized? Is no, it fictional? It's it's just secure. It's upscaled Peter Jackson cut together security footage yeah. of their their session. So there's not a narrative really. I mean, okay. like there's a narrative of. The Beatles got together. They they're at the the tail end of what we now know was their epic run, uh, and and they're they're not in love with hanging out with each other. You can see some of the creative disputes, but it's them putting together an album and eventually a television special. Uh, uh, yeah, look, I I'm I'm two hours and ten minutes worth of a Beatles fan. I'll eventually <laughs> be eight hours of a Beatles fan. I don't know, uh, but I, yeah. My fear was like the the documentary on the Bee Gees was great because you'd be like you'd be like ah oh, the Bee Gees and then you're like oh man yeah they may be one of the best bands ever you're yeah. by the end of it you're like a huge Bee Gees fan here I'm like I like the Beatles not a huge Beatles fan I have a feeling that like I'm gonna hate be sick of the Beatles I watch some of the clips and watch them talk I'm like. I don't like these people as people enough to really want to spend this much time it's, watching it, them in the studio. I mean. It, on what uh, Brian Brian loved it, right? Yes, Brian very, loved it very much. So Brian much so, is an eight hours Beatles fan. So so, so wow. much so. I, I also, I watched it. If you have the means to watch it next to Mike TV, I highly recommend it because that was a lot of fun. Uh, I will I will say all the complaints I have with it. Like, boy, could it use some narrative structure? Boy, could it use maybe some kind of talking head element just to move us. From from things, maybe you have Paul looking back on this moment and giving some like perspective from from down the road would have never happened. If you wanted something different, it would have never happened because all that footage is still owned by the company for which is owned by Paul McCartney and the estate of John Lennon and the estate of George Harrison and Ringo Starr. So it's like they all control it. Paul and Yoko still don't get along and they and they to this day have nascent land war fights on who deserves credit for what. So it's like it had to be this gigantic sprawling upscaled uh of uh, you know a uh, massive thing because that's the only way that you could not offend any of the delicately uh, uh positioned parties. So you know, it, it is what it is. I can understand why why Peter Jackson is is doing the press runs, talking about how it exonerates Yoko, how she didn't break up the Beatles. All I will say is, boy, would I be annoyed if uh, of all of a sudden uh, anybody was just sitting like in in the inner circle the entire time, not saying anything. Uh, it's I don't know. Uh, uh, I love the album. I love I love uh, the the songs that they're writing during it, but it's a band writing songs. If you don't like that or that gets on your nerves boy will this get on your nerves but otherwise it's about as good as they could have done with that project uh so so uh, uh counterpoint uh as somebody who is a fan not only of the work of the beatles but also the 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 beatles as myths and legends um there there's a wonderful book uh, the love you make that's full of deep dish gossip about all the behind the scenes stuff but it's the equivalent of imagine you only heard campfire stories about certain types of social dynamics and interactions or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like you say, it's eight hours of raw, super high fidelity security footage. And it's the closest to a holodeck simulation of being 
there in yes. the room with them that you're going to get. And I wouldn't be surprised if 10 years, 20 years from now, there's an Oculus thing a that, VR that literally version. puts you in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, John Lennon's an asshole. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Newsflash. I've got a I've got a, a quick pick. Um, I uh, started playing. I was I, I had some holiday time and I was playing some video games and I started a new one. Uh, it's uh, Forza Horizon Five. Uh, you know you know Assassin's Creed. You know when you go into Assassin's Creed and you're just they just dump you into a big open world and you're they just give you assassinating everything just, left and right. Just a bunch of but stuff on a map a to do. You're playing you're playing songs by Creed, <laughs> assassinating people. They but get, that's gonna be that's gonna be the game when they make that into a movie that will be the first really good video game to movie. Exactly. I've been told. Absolutely. My sacrifice banner. <laughs> uh, they throw you on a big open world map and they give you a bunch of stuff on the map to do. Yeah. That's what Forza Horizon is. But you're driving a car instead of assassinating ancient italian men um <laughs> but uh, uh uh it's it's cool there's a lot of cool cars it takes place in mexico this time um a, a lot of cool cars cool cool i don't know it's I, I was looking for a game that i could um just like play while i listened to a podcast and um uh fit the bill and it ended up fitting the bill because i'm not i'm not as much into shooters as i used to be so nice. uh vroom, vroom hey forza horizon and uh, well, I'm... we all breathe a sigh of relief over that one <laughs> okay. um but yeah there you go and it's on game pass if you have game pass but i i bought it for whatever reason i wanted to spend 60 dollars on this instead of subscribing it started with the hat <laughs> <laughs> but now i own I, the uh... game okay <laughs> My my pick is I've mentioned this before, but I watched it again because uh, a topic I won't be able to do the full after things because I have a hard out at one. But I want to talk about somebody who's really kind of I think a unique person who passed away two months ago, mm-hmm. and that's Clive Sinclair. Clive Sinclair, a prolific British inventor who had did things like made one of the first digital calculators and figured out that hey, you don't need to put power through the microprocessor the full time. You can just pulse it every little, you know, every few milliseconds and it'll be fine. And so he made a battery powered calculator using a chip that everybody else was trying to power. He always had these very clever ways of doing stuff. There was a, a movie made about the war of the PC industry in Britain in the early 1980s, the late 1970s. And the battle between his company and a rival company that was created by somebody that worked for him. And the, the, doc, the movie is called Micromen. And uh, because it's, you know, got uh, British people in it, Martin Friedman has to be in it. So Martin Friedman plays a competitor. But it's a very neat, great soundtrack with like Vangelis. There's this, uh, there. if you type in YouTube Microman ending, like if I want to sell you on anything, I want you to, maybe if we can find that YouTube clip, if you want to play that. Uh, in there, Clive Sinclair also wanted to work on the C5, which was going to be his kind of electric car, but also you could pedal it. It was like an electric bike kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He was a very interesting thinker, and one of the things he always wanted to do was bring the cost down on stuff. So I had the first computer we ever owned was a Sinclair, and it was the Timex Sinclair Partnership computer, and this thing only cost like $100 or $200. This was a time when computers were $500, $1,000 or more, and he, he could engineer something that was extremely cheap. The manufacturing quality, also kind of cheap. Do you have the clip? Yeah, mm, uh, yes. Uh, here we go. Uh, ending of Micro Men movie. This is Clive Sinclair, the guy playing Clive Sinclair. This is great. And so for, for audio listeners, he is in a a little three wheel 
device, power wheels, a power basically. wheel thing that he is rolling down the road. Get the Russian translation. The competitive company that competed against was Acorn Computers. Oh yeah. Acorn went through its bit of things and sold off its assets, but also Acorn famously invented the ARM microprocessor, which is now wow. in like every friggin' mobile device yeah. and now every Apple device to this day. And that's kind of the cool things you see the roots of this. So, oh, okay. Um, but, but yeah, the event, the ending where he's driving down the highway on his little C five electric three wheeler thing, and then you see, you see like an HP tractor trailer truck pass him, you know, like a compact or something like this. And the point is, but it's worth doing a deep dive kind of into this guy, and he, he's a very the, the he. I don't know how accurate he is portrayed in this movie but you realize that he was a really an interesting personality. And so Clive Sinclair passed two months ago. Maybe this is the best representation of who he was, but to get you down that rabbit hole of one, the British role in tech in yeah. microprocessors, et cetera, and a neat, neat engineering personality that became, he got knighted. He is Sir Knight, uh, Sir, <laughs> Sir Clive Sinclair and deservedly so. Very cool. So anyhow, that's my pick. Cool. Gentlemen, it's been weird. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.